Hey, Seabreeze, it's good to be with you guys today. My name is Elliot. I'm the Connection Pastor here, and today we're going to continue our series, I Can Do That. Now, last month, uh, our family, we went on a trip out of state, and the place we were going to actually has some uh, tighter restrictions, some more intense restrictions than California does. So in preparation for the trip, I spent time um, reading through what we could do and what we could expect to be able to do and the things that we couldn't do. And that was the first time ever that I've spent time in preparation for a vacation reading through executive orders and guidelines. I've never done that before. Usually when you go on a trip, you've got this endless list of all these amazing things that you can do. They're saying, here's the tourist attractions, here's all these restaurants that you can go try out, here's all these activities you can do. And so you're planning these trips and you're trying to figure out, okay, in this this limited amount of time, how can we cram as much in there as possible? And this trip for our family was really unique because this time, instead of trying to figure out, okay, out of the endless options, what do we have to kind of whittle it down to? It was list after list of all these things that we couldn't do. And what are the things that we actually can do? And this is just kind of a mark of the season that we're in. It's a reality of the season we're in. We are in a season of increased restrictions. There's more that we can't do now than at this point last year. And in a season like this, it's really easy to just get focused on all the things that we can't do. And when we do that, it's also really easy to overlook all the things that we can do. And thankfully, the Bible provides a lot of help with this. The Bible gives us a lot of stories of individuals who faced far greater restrictions than you or I will or have faced and helps us kind of remember, oh, okay, in in this situation, here is what I can do. Here's what I can focus on. So that's what we're looking at in this series. And today, we're going to turn our attention to a man named Elijah. Now, a little uh, biography about Elijah to get us started so we can kind of figure out where he fits in the story of the Bible. He was a prophet in Israel who lived around 800 years before Jesus came. And as you read through his story, which I would encourage you to do, as you read through his story, you start to get this sense that Elijah was a he was this almost superhuman individual. I mean, you read through the story and you realize he was a very brave man. He stood up to kings. He delivered God's message faithfully. He opposed false teachers. And he also performed miracles. There were several times where he called down fire from heaven or he was able to multiply food. Even one story where he brings a dead boy back to life. And to cap it all off, Elijah, he, you know, he's a brave man. He performs all these miracles. He doesn't die a physical death but it says that a chariot of fire came and called him up to heaven. So as you, like I said, as you read through the story, you start to think, man, this guy, is, this guy is superhuman. Do I have anything in common with this guy? And I would encourage you to read the story. It's a really interesting read. It's in the books of 1 Kings chapter 17 through 19, and then in 2 Kings chapters 1 and 2. The books of Kings, 1 Kings and 2 Kings are just historical accounts of the kingdom of Israel. So it, it kind of takes place over five chapters. It's a pretty... Pretty quick read, but I would encourage you checking it out. And what you'll see is Elijah, he encountered some really really strict restrictions. Uh, Elijah came onto the scene at a really low point in Israel's history. There was a king named Ahab who ruled the land, him and his wife Jezebel. And Ahab and Jezebel, they hated God. They hated the God of the Bible. And because of this, they were actually hunting down and putting to death God's prophets. 
And you just think about it. It's, it's crazy to think that ancient Israel, these were God's chosen people, and the nation had wandered so far from God that they're actually hunting down and putting to death his prophets. So Elijah is one of the prophets, so he had to be careful where he showed his face. He couldn't just go stroll down the street. Actually, on several occasions, God tells him to flee the country for his own safety and protection. So Elijah, he faced some really intense restrictions. Now, you and I, we're different than Elijah, obviously. We live in different circumstances. We live in a different period of time. We have different giftings, different assignments than Elijah did. We have different opportunities than Elijah did. But one thing that we have in common with Elijah is you and I, we can pray like Elijah. In the book of James, in the New Testament, there's one portion of that book. James is writing to a group of Christians, and he's explaining why they should pray. And he uses the example, the story of Elijah, as motivation. This is what James writes in chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, what James is referring to is one of the events that Elijah is most well known for. And what we're going to do with our time today is we're going to explore the story that James is referring to. And in this story, we get an answer for why to pray. Why, why should we pray? This story helps answer that question, why should we pray? And then the story also, I think, really challenges us in how we approach prayer. So we're going to look at the story, come up with the answer, why pray, and then we're going to kind of look at a little bit of a personal challenge. So let's go ahead and jump into the story this morning. So a little context again. King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, they rule the land. They and the people, they stop following God. And in place of God, the God of the Bible, they decide to start following a false god named Baal. Now, Baal is referred to as the bringer of rain. And in those days, what people believed is they believed that Baal controlled the weather. And in an economy that was built on agriculture, and you wanted good crops, and you wanted healthy livestock, you wanted good weather. So they believed that, okay, if we just do what will make Baal happy— you know, it's kind of formulaic. If we follow this certain formula to please him, then he'll send rain when we need rain, and he'll make sure it doesn't rain when we don't want rain, and our crops will grow, and our, our livestock will increase, and we'll be wealthy, and we'll be happy. So they rejected the God of the Bible, and they started to follow Baal. Then Elijah shows up on the scene, and the first thing Elijah does and that we're told about is he starts praying that the rain will stop. Now, this is really interesting. Why does he start praying that the rain will stop? Well, something that Elijah knew is he knew that if the people were going to return to God, the true God, the God of the Bible, their false gods were going to have to fail them. So they put their hope in Baal. They put their hope that Baal would, he would provide the right weather at the right time so they could have crops and they would be successful and happy and they would be secure, and they would be safe, and they put all this hope in Baal. And then Elijah starts, he shows up on the scene, and he starts praying, essentially, that Baal will fail them. He starts praying that all of these false hopes will be shattered. He starts asking God, God, would you stop the rain so the people can see what's true? Now, God hears Elijah's prayer, and this is what happens. 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe, Gilead said to Ahab, he's gone to the king Ahab, he says, as the Lord the God of Israel lives whom I serve, 
There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Now, this is really fascinating. We've already got the verse from James that says that Elijah showed up on the scene and he starts praying that it wouldn't rain. So Elijah's praying that it won't rain and the people would see that all of their hope in Baal was worthless. So we've already got that verse that kind of indicates that this happened because Elijah prayed. Then we've got this verse in 1 Kings that it doesn't reference Elijah's prayer at all. And what it is, is it's really kind of two sides of the same coin. From one perspective, kind of what Elijah is saying here in 1 Kings, you know, Elijah's just doing what God told him to do. He goes to the king and says, I'm a servant of God. God told me to come talk to you. It's not going to rain until I say so. So from one perspective, this is all God's doing. But on the opposite side of the same coin, Elijah's prayers were the catalyst for the rain stopping. And this is actually the first answer of why pray. Elijah was praying because he knew that his prayers played a central role in what happened. He prayed because prayer impacts what happens. That's why we pray. We pray because prayer impacts what happens. Elijah knew this, and so he started praying, and God decided to answer that prayer. Elijah prayed because he knew his prayers impacted what happened. Now, this brings up a question, and it's a common question. The question is, how in the world is that possible? How is it possible that our prayers would ever impact what God decides to do? Well, the answer to that question is it works this way because of a personal relationship. God loves us. He invites us into a personal relationship with him. And whenever you're in a personal relationship, influence is always two ways. Both parties influence each other. It's two-way influence. We refer to this in relationships as interplay. It's a process of give and take. There's, there's cause and effect within the relationship because it's a personal relationship. And because God wants this personal relationship with us, he opens himself up to this. There, there's a lot of people who have influenced me in my life. There, there are authors that have influenced me. There are, there are bands and their music has influenced my attitude. There are, there are athletes that have influenced what I thought was cool. But I don't have a personal relationship with any of those people, so the influence, it's just one-way influence. There's no personal relationship. But with God, God, God actually invites us and he initiates the opportunity for us to have a personal relationship. And in order for there to be a personal relationship, he opens himself up and allows us to influence him. And this is how it works with my kids. And in my relationship with my kids, often my kids will ask me, can we do something? I mean, Probably this evening, I'll get the question, hey, Dad, could we have ice cream tonight? Now, we don't have ice cream every night. We're not always doing what the kids want to do, but there are a lot of times as a family where we choose to do something because one of the kids really wants to do it. There's a personal relationship. There's love, and what they, what they desire and what they ask for, that impacts what we as a family choose to do. It's the same thing in our relationship with God. Elijah knew this. He knew that he was in a personal relationship with the sovereign creator of the universe, and he knew his prayer impacted what would happen. So he prayed. And, and an implication for you and me as we think about this, and we think of our prayers impact what happens, and we're in, we're in a personal relationship with God, an implication is sometimes we can get really busy gathering information about God. We read the Bible to learn more about who he is, or we 
Maybe, maybe we study how he wants us to live, and those are good things, things that we should do. Or maybe we spend our time trying to figure out what are, what are all the logical reasons you could give for why believing in God makes sense. And again, that's a good thing. That's something that we should do. Or you know, maybe we get really involved in, in serving people and different church activities, and those are good things. But something for us to remember and be aware of is prayer is often when the personal relationship becomes real. God, God's not just looking to influence us. He wants to be in a personal relationship with us. And he invites us into that relationship. It, it doesn't compromise his sovereignty. He's still in control. But what we ask for, the requests that we make through prayer, those impact what happens. So if you're not praying or struggling with praying frequently, you might need to remember what Elijah knew. You are in a personal relationship with the creator of the universe, and what you pray has an impact on what happens. So that's the first reason for why pray. We pray because prayer impacts what happens. Let's keep going with the story and see if there's more. Keep going with the story. So Elijah prays. God answers the prayer. Elijah goes to Ahab, and the drought descends on the land. Life gets really hard for everybody in Israel. Three and a half years, no rain. It says there was no dew on the ground, no moisture at all. You could imagine the impacts that that would have on people's lives. I mean, three and a half years of a drought. Their economy is built on agriculture. No rain, no crops, no healthy, healthy livestock. That means that probably land was being sold to pay for debts because people couldn't pay for the land or pay for their crops or have any income. Inheritances were being lost. Wealth was being lost. I mean, life got incredibly hard for people in Israel because of this drought. Their, their hope and bail to make, them, to make them secure or happy or successful or give wealth, that is being shaken to the core at this point in the story. So three and a half years of drought. At that point, Elijah shows back up, and Elijah, Elijah goes to King Ahab. This time, what he does is he sets up a high-stakes showdown between God, the God of the Bible, and Baal. And what Elijah says to the king is he says, okay, I want you to bring the 450 prophets of Baal, and then I'll show up, and let's invite all the people, and we'll see once and for all who the real God is. So King Ahab says, okay, let's do it. Let's get everybody. They all go, and they gather at this place called Mount Carmel. And then this is what happens. 1 Kings 18, verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. He's saying, okay, let's settle this once and for all. Let's figure out who the true God is. So then after kind of setting up this showdown, Elijah lays out the ground rules. He says, okay, here's how this is going to work. So we're each going to take turns. The, the prophets of Baal are going to go, and then I'm going to go. The prophets of Baal, what we'll do is we'll, everybody will set up an altar, and there's a sacrifice, and you'll prepare the sacrifice, put it on top of the altar, and you'll cry out to your God, and whichever of the two gods responds with fire from heaven, that is the real God. And everybody agreed. They said, ah, oh, this is a great idea. Now, like I said, this was really high stakes for everybody involved, and that's because what the people believed at that period of time and what they understood was any false prophets should be put to death. Anybody who, who misled the people or, or taught the people false things about God, they should be put to death. So these are, these are really high stakes. The winner lives and the loser dies. Everybody in participation knew that this is what was going to happen. This is what the outcome was going to be. So they enter into this high-stakes competition. They agree to the terms. 
chapter 18, verse 25, this is what it says. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose an ox for yourselves and prepare it first for you are many and call in the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox, which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, no one answered, and they leaped about the altar, which they made. It came about noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied, or gone aside, or is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. And you read through it, and it seems like Elijah is just having fun with them. I mean, it says that he starts to mock them. But what he's doing is he is pointing out a really important difference between the God of the Bible and between Baal. While on the one hand, the God of the Bible is infinite and everywhere and all-powerful, Baal was made in the image of man. He was really just a glorified version of us. People believed that he, he had the same tendencies and the same desires that we do. He was fickle. He, he liked to go on vacations and not be bothered. He liked to take naps. He might get moody. You, you had to act just right around him so that you would please him. And so what Elijah is saying is when he says this to them, he's, he's just pointing out, he's, he's pointing out really how idiotic it was to believe and put their hope in this type of God. He's saying, maybe he's not here. Maybe he's unaware of what's going on. Maybe, maybe he's so concerned with himself that he doesn't really care about you. Maybe, maybe he can't hear you. Elijah is just pointing out kind of how, how foolish it was of them to put their hope in this type of, of God. And he's doing this because of something really important that Elijah knew. Elijah knew that while, while Baal had no power to do the people good, and while Elijah knew that you don't want to follow a God that's just a higher version of yourself, in opposition to that, the God of the Bible, what Elijah knew about him is he knew that he was present and he had the power to act. And this is actually the second answer to why pray. We pray because God is present and God has the power to act. Let's see how this works out in the story. Nine hours, nine hours, the prophets of Baal, they dance around their altar, they cry out to the heavens trying to get a response. It gets so drastic that they think that maybe they've made their God mad, and so maybe they need to punish themselves. So they start cutting themselves and punishing themselves so that maybe he'll be happy with them. Nine hours of this just crazy scene going on, and there's complete silence. Nothing happens. Then it's Elijah's turn. So what Elijah does is he, he calmly walks up. He he builds the altar, he puts the wood on top of it, he puts the sacrifice on top of that. Then he digs a trench around the altar, which would have been surprising. Then he goes and he gets 12 really large jugs of water. He has those poured over the top of the altar. Everybody knows wet wood doesn't light. He's making the point that this isn't a trick. This isn't his doing. So he sets this all up, and then Elijah prays, and this is what it says. It says this is what he says. He says, oh God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make it known right now that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, that I am doing what I'm doing under your orders. Answer me, God. Oh, answer me, and reveal to this people that you are God, the true God, and that you are giving these people another chance at repentance. It's not some memorized chant. 
It's not some ritualistic thing that he had to say. It's not this overly emotional plea trying to coerce God into taking action. It's a really simple prayer, a a prayer similar to what you would say to a close friend who had the power to respond to your request. And then it says this, the very next verse, then the fire of the Lord fell, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This is an amazing story. False God Baal is proven to be just that, a false God with no power. The people's hope in him is completely shattered by the drought. And then in this scene with Elijah, it's proved that God, the God of the Bible, he's the real God. He's the one that controls the weather. He's the one that can respond. He is present and he is able to help. He listens and he's impacted by our prayers. Our prayers influence what happens. So he tells the king, he turns to the king and tells him, you need to hurry back to the city because rain is coming. Later that evening, the drought's lifted, rain returns to the land, the people rejoice and celebrate. An amazing story. Elijah prayed because he knew prayer impacts what happens. He had a personal relationship with God, and he knew the influence went two ways. And Elijah prayed because Elijah knew that God was present, and God had the power to act. He wasn't off doing his own thing, but he was present in that moment and ready to come to Elijah's aid. It's actually the same for us today. This is the same reason we pray today. We pray because of a personal relationship and prayer impacts what happens. We don't have to use flowery words. We don't have to have some ritualistic chant. We can just talk to God like he's a good friend standing next to us. And because of the personal relationship, we can talk to him about anything. There's nothing that's off limits. He, he cares about us and he wants this relationship with us. And just like with Elijah, we pray because God is present and God has the power to act. You don't, have to, you don't have to scream at him in hopes that he'll hear you. You don't have to time your prayer at just the right moment so that it can fit into his busy schedule. He's present. He knows what's going on, and he has the power to act. Now, I want to I highlight something in the story that has really challenged me as I've reflected on this story. And it's something that James says about Elijah's prayer. James writes this again. He says about Elijah, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Now, when he says he prayed earnestly in the Greek, which is the language that James wrote his book in, in the Greek, it's the same word. It's the noun verb, the noun form, and then the verb form back to back. So you could actually translate this, he prayed earnestly as he prayer prayed. Now, that sounds funny, but James is doing this, same word, back-to-back, noun form, and then the verb form, because he's adding emphasis to how Elijah prayed. I mean, just think about it like this. If, if I were to tell you that, you know, yesterday, my wife, Allie, and I, we had a conversation, and we talk-talked, you would probably assume, you know, first of all, you would wonder why I was talking funny and did I not have a better vocabulary, but you would probably assume that we had a really serious conversation. I mean, we talked, talked. I mean, we, we probably, we, we weren't distracted, we weren't on our phones, we weren't multitasking, but we were engaged and we were present and we were listening to one another and we were talking about something that was really important. And it's the same thing when James writes this and he says that Elijah prayer prayed 
what he's saying is Elijah, he was present in that moment. He, this wasn't something that he just did one time. This, he wasn't rambling. He wasn't, these weren't just kind of random ideas, but he was, he was focused and engaged. He wasn't multitasking. He wasn't distracted. He was present in that moment, and he was interacting with God. He prayer prayed. Now, for me, technology is one of the things that often gets in the way of my praying. And what'll happen is I'll, I'll sit down to pray, or I'll think, oh, I should really pray about this, and then I'll get a text message. Or I'll start thinking about, I should start praying about this, and all of a sudden I'll think, wow, well, yeah, but there was this article I wanted to read. Or maybe it'll be in the evening, and you know, the kids will be in bed, and I'll think, I should pray about some of the things that went on today, but there's this new show on TV that I really want to watch. And so for me, if I'm going to if I'm going to pray like Elijah, these, these focused, intentional times with God, what I've got to do is I've got to get rid of some of these distractions. I've got to turn the phone off. I've got to turn off the TV. I've got to close the computer. And so for me, this most often happens on walks. I mean, I know different personalities. People have different ways of doing it. But for me, it's, it's in the moments where I say, okay, I'm going to get away I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set aside a portion of time, and I'm just going to pray and focus on what's going on and ask God his, for his help and ask God for him to be at work and ask God to give me insight. It's in those moments where it's, it's planned, it's scheduled, I've removed distractions, and that most ha- often happens for me when I, I'll go on a walk. I'll tell my wife, I'll say, hey, you know, the kids are in bed. I'll say, hey, I'm just going to go for a quick walk around the block, and I'm going to talk to God. And it's in those moments when my prayers move from just kind of random, distracted, just kind of, you know, kind of thoughtless comments to I'm really intentionally engaging with God. I'm involved in this prayer and I'm paying attention. I'm listening to what he might say to me and I'm, I'm pouring out my heart to him about what's going on and what I think should happen. And so for you, one of the questions I would really encourage you to ask yourself is what keeps you from praying like Elijah did? What, what keeps you from pray prayed? What keeps you from doing that? I mean, for me, like I said, it's often technology, but it might be something else. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's you think that God doesn't hear you. Maybe you think that he doesn't really care about the situation. Identify for you, what is keeping you from praying like Elijah? Identify that thing and then figure out, okay, this is what's keeping me. Now, what would it look like for me to build the habit of prayer into my life? What's it going to take for me to pray more? Because again, just like Elijah knew, Elijah prayed because he knew God was present, he knew God had the power to act, and he also knew that his prayers influenced what happens. It's the same reason for us. So let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for the fact that you hear us, that you're not silent. God, I ask that whatever the things are that are keeping us from regularly coming before you and interacting with you through prayer, I pray that you would identify those to us so that they, couldn't, they, won't, they won't keep us from taking advantage of the opportunity to come before you with our requests and to make an impact on what happens. So God, I pray that you would reveal this. And then I, I pray that you would, you would help us be people who really practice prayer. We don't just kind of flippantly or casually do it, but we, we're intentional, we schedule it, we build it into our schedules, we remove the distractions so that we can come before you and pray earnestly just like Elijah did. I thank you in Jesus' name.
Amen.